Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. You may start noticing there are strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, that's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called liquid death. Why is this water called liquid death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of the profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Those aluminum cans it comes in are recyclable and actually profitable for recycling facilities so they won't just end up in your local landfill like plastic bottles. Go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundies, or Hy-Vee, or find Liquid Death re- retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com front slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com front slash film study.
Hi, folks. Welcome to part two of the defense podcast from that horrific week two loss at home to the Dolphins. Uh, joined again by Jake Vogel. Jake, how you doing? I'm doing good, Ken. How about you? I can't complain too much except for the game and then who's going to really listen. So let's get on with it. Uh, we promised folks we'd be, we'd be back and talking a little bit about the pass rush in part two here. And let's get right to that. So uh, don't know what you thought in general, but let's get your, cause some of your thoughts out there at first about uh, what McDonald did and whether or not it, you thought he had some limitations or whatnot that were holding him back. Uh, a fairly conservative rush from my point of view. Yeah, it was not the best game from a pass rushing standpoint, to say the least. Um, Tua was getting the ball out quick. That was clearly something that Mike McDaniel and company planned ahead of time. Uh, They were very successful at it. They have yak playmakers, probably two of the best ones in the NFL. And Mm -hmm. on top of that, the Ravens are extremely thin at the edge rushing position. So Justin Houston looked good to me in this game. He should have had two sacks, maybe more, uh, but probably a a definite two. He ended up with the one. Um, There were a couple defensive linemen that that made some plays. I thought Broderick Washington had a couple nice plays in this one. Michael Pierce uh, continues to stand out to me, uh, perhaps in ways that he didn't in his first stint in Baltimore. So I want to give him a shout out. He's really moving the pocket and getting after his guy uh, pretty well, um, even even when it comes to rushing the passer. And then um, just some other notes I would have. He he did fluctuate a little bit with um, how many guys he sent. Uh, I would say most of the game was four. And I believe. the, The most successful rush that the Ravens typically had was for I believe one one time they had a really nice play with the five-man rush other than that when they went to three or two it was not good um there were instances of that and then there were um you know a couple times where they rushed a few extra um so it, it was kind of a a pretty basic game plan with uh with the pass rush being just that base four um but there are some issues when when they get uh, kind of sneaky with it. I, I think dropping dropping all their guys into coverage outside of two or outside of three didn't really help uh, in terms of the result. Um, we we saw that on I believe the Mike Sicky touchdown. Um, I could I could pull that up. No, you're you're right. They had a two one uh, pass rush on on one of those plays, and it certainly gave ample time and space. And what happened on that particular play? Let me find that. Yeah, it was it was the 14 yard touchdown. I think it was Jasicki in the back of the end zone on zipper, right? It was a 14 yard touchdown anyway. So yes. I, I, I believe that's the one that was over Clark's over Clark's head. I, you're you're talking about some of the some of the elements that I have recorded and data for. So I'd like to kind of go through that in terms of, uh, of what we have. So. You mentioned the ball out quick, 24 times, 47% of his 51 dropbacks, too. I had the ball out quick. Hit ample time and space on 14 out of 51. That's 27%. That's probably a little lower than normal. So that's not that part is not bad. But when you add those two together, that's 75% of the balls that got out before pressure could develop. And only 13 plays, the Ravens generated a pressure in this game. 
I, you know, I saw the interesting comment you forwarded me from Josh Hirschmeyer, right? Uh, yes, it was on Twitter. Let me see. Um, he, anyway, I'll, I'll give you the, the, the without putting yeah, it out yeah. there directly. His his big thing about was that the the fourth quarter that the pass rush got gassed. That's certainly going to happen in any game where you have guys on the field for multiple plays and the 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 Dolphins run as many plays as they did in that fourth quarter. It's a lot of consecutive plays being run, and it, it's it's going to be very difficult. Uh, I I think that's a fair reason why it happened. I also think there were some coverage breakdowns that when it got bad for the pass rush that they then were not able to, uh, you know, be within five yards of a receiver on some of these plays. Right. Yeah. It, it was Josh Hermsmeyer, as you mentioned. Um, and you had a good response to it. Um, but basically it was, it was kind of telling us that in the first half, the Ravens were getting this pressure on Tua um, at a good rate. I think it was 50 some percent pressure. Um, and then in the second half, it dramatically decreased to, or the fourth quarter, like to under 20% um, on the rushes. So I think there was a mixture of getting gassed and players going out and changing how many guys were rushing and lots of different variables, but clearly it was better in the first half when they were playing less snaps, getting off the field and the turnovers were, you know, incredibly key in this game, even though the Ravens didn't come out on top, like this seems like a feast or famine defense that we saw. Uh, if, if the Ravens can capitalize on turnovers, they will do just fine. But I mean, I thought Miami was moving the ball pretty well during the whole game. Uh, Mm -hmm. and we kind of were blessed with, with Marcus Williams as our new safety back there. Um, you know, grabbing two interceptions in the first half. I mean, I think that's true, but that's also the way this team is built in terms of strengths is, you know, looking, reading the quarterback and trying to make plays on the football. Uh, You know, it it happened this week that that Williams had three outstanding chances, converted two of them, actually converted the two really difficult ones. Right. And, and the, and the easy one he, he managed to drop, which was unfortunate because that would have won the game right there. Mm. I'm, I'm convinced. Few more stats here because you mentioned the pass rush by numbers. It's that's a fairly simplistic way to look at it, but I always provide it anyway. Three or fewer. It's seven plays for 57 yards, 8.1 yards per play. With when they rushed four, 31 plays, 274 yards. That's 8.8 yards per play. Two turnovers. Uh with five uh rushing the passer, they had 12 plays for 126 yards, 10.5 yards per play with one sack. Uh to put it simply, nothing worked. I mean, it's just it's it's the easiest way they did have one six man rush, which ended in a two yard play. And obviously, you know, we have some large number concerns there, but they only rushed um, five plus on 25 percent of plays is what that means. So they didn't really make an Mm -hmm. effort to blitz with numbers in this game. And, and, you know, somebody like Wink would look at that and he'd probably say five plus. What are you talking about? I want to see some sixes. I want to see some sevens, you know, sprinkled in that in that group as well. Yeah, when when the secondary is that beat up and we have rookie corners in there, I, I don't really blame him for for not going heavier on on the pressure looks, but um, it, he did keep it very vanilla. I, I will say that, like w- when they went five, it was typically just an inside linebacker being that fifth man. I, I didn't see anything super exotic when I was going through this game for the second time. 
Yeah, they they uh, I I get some other measures of deception sure. they had, but the, uh, the there wasn't a whole lot. They, it was a limited yeah. deception game, that's for sure. So they had nine individual blitzes. So those are from off ball. So it, I, I'll tell people again because I usually like to say at least once per season how this is defined. If you're at least as far out as the slot corner and at the line of scrimmage, then you're a deceptive blitzer if you come. That would be like a cat blitz of any sort, an outside corner or even a slot corner coming. You're automatically a blitzer and you haven't declared yourself as such. Otherwise, if you're within that spacing, you have to be at least one and a half yards off the line of scrimmage to be mm-hmm. a, uh, a a off-ball blitzer. So most linebackers fall in this category. Other people who may be moving around a, a line of scrimmage and then uh, show up late may be in, in that group. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's, that's a blitz. They only had nine of those individually, and three of those were paired. So they had two blitzers on each of three plays. Those plays, by the way, PM48, PM2, and PM21. So even blitzing Patrick Queen on those plays didn't really help improve right. the quality of the coverage in the on the on the back end. Um, and I, I don't have much to say about it other than um, you know it, it's not a ton of trickery to use for an entire game. The 0.18 per pass play number is very low in terms of off ball blitzes. And part of part of regulating expectations is getting back to the fact that two or through the ball 50 or drop back 51 times in this game. So any number that might be large for another, another game isn't really very large for this one. We just got off a game, of course, where Flacco threw something like 57, 58, 59 times. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, something else I noticed in this game when it came to the rush, a lot of it was interior defensive lineman heavy. This is not the Ravens of old. I mean, so much of it has to do with the personnel that we currently have with the outside linebackers not you know, being there. But um, you're talking about Calais Campbell, Broderick Washington, Justin Matabike, um, Michael Pierce doing a lot of the work on these second down, third down rushes um, where you didn't see that as much um, in, in recent years. And I, and I really do think a lot of it just has to do with personnel. Great point, Jake. Absolutely on the money in, in terms of who does that. We saw that first game. We saw really good interior pressure across the line. We saw lots of one-on-one wins. This game, we saw few less of that, and um, it's it's it was a variety of people trying to do that. Calais Campbell had a decent game of rushing the passer. I think not exceptional. Uh, uh, even last week against the Jets, I thought he was probably not close to the top of the pass rushers for the Ravens interior linemen. When you know Pierce is having a big game and. Uh, who else had a big game last week? Matabike. Matabike did have a game. Yeah. yeah. So Matabike wasn't terrible in this game or anything, but he wasn't Matabike against the Jets in terms of his right. winning one-on-one games. And I would have thought, if anything, you know, your opportunity against the Dolphins, who have some significant deficiencies on their interior. Uh, Liam Eikenberg is a is a, 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 a Notre Dame tackle who moved to uh, guard to to basically cover up for short arms. He had a terrible year at tackle last year for the Dolphins, and he got moved inside. Appropriate appropriate move. Um, you know, not a guy who who has any NFL pedigree as a great pass blocker certainly. Um, and and they have the center number. I want to say he's fifty eight in this game. Uh, Connor Williams. Connor Williams. I think that's it. Yeah. Uh, you know, another guy right. who. Yeah. You know, should be a, a guy you can beat one on one. I thought they had better opportunities, honestly, this week than against the Jets. 
I thought this, this, you know, you got Flacco, who's very immobile, yep. um, but you have some guys you can really beat one-on-one. Yeah, I, I thought going into this game that the Ravens would have an advantage against the Dolphins' offensive line, and it didn't really show up like that, uh, which is extremely disappointing. I thought Oway would have his opportunities with their mm-hmm. tackle injuries. They do have a good one um, from the Saints, but... Other than that, I mean, they they have been banged up there, and their interior offensive line is not anything special. Uh, so I, I thought the Ravens would a, would be able to feast a little bit, considering what we saw just the week prior. Well, Teron Armstead was on the left side, and so mm-hmm. most of the day he was blocking Houston, and Owe was staying on the side with a tight end. So he ends up with either a tight end or or being blocked by that right tackle. And the name is escaping me right now and my my thoughts here, but it'll come back to me in a sec. Um, is it Austin. No, he was the guy who's had to sit in, sit out, right? Yeah, right tackle was Little. Little. Okay. Larry Little, I remember, from the 1970s. He was a hell of a guard for the Dolphins, but this this ain't Larry Little. Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, the, uh, the, the one comment I wanted to make when you were talking about Houston um, on that against the offensive left side, his two, his sack and then almost sack came when he was unblocked. Yes, in, in the game. So uh, the mm-hmm. tight end, kind of in a a tight end right slash H back alignment, was motioning to the offensive left, trying to block Houston. He didn't really get much on him at all on the sack. Mm-hmm. And then on the next play, uh, it was it was the same thing. He was unblocked, and he yeah. really should have brought down. Um, he should have brought down Tua, but it didn't happen, and he got out of it. Yeah, it was a, it was a it was a good sequence there. He had three consecutive pressure events during that thing, and then I think he had two in a row or two in a three play sequence later in the game, uh, which was which really a lot of his pressure uh, was uh, provided during those two kind of streaks. Uh, what else do we want to say to talk about here? They stunted six times. This is one of the funny things. So the Ravens are a good stunting team. They've got good under players. They've got enough speed to go over. So you, you like what they bring to the table, and I especially like what an under can do uh, when that block gets peeled, when, 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 get, when the unpeeling is done by the looper. Right. And you know, the Ravens have good guys for doing that. They had six guys, they had six stunts in the game, as I mentioned. Five of those were during the first half. And then it seems like they might have gone into halftime and said, okay, we need to cut down on the stunts. We're not you know, keeping discipline on the pocket against Tua like we'd like to. And, and, you know, that could have been literally part of it as they said, we don't want to do this. They didn't blitz a lot in the second half, which is the, that usually reduces stunts because you can't usually blitz and stunt on the same play. In fact, the players are allowed to call some stunts on field. And I've seen Calais Campbell talk about this. He says, we can call it, uh, we can decide on ourselves on field. We just can't do it if, if they have a blitz plan. So, uh, you know, the, there were there were times in the second half. They certainly had the ball plenty that that Campbell was certainly on the field for a lot of those plays. He could have said, OK, I'm under your over on this play and, and you mm-hmm. know, let's let's try this because nothing else is working. And they really, really didn't didn't make any effort to do it in the second half. So I have to think McDonald was probably telling him, don't do that. Yeah, I mean, they, they were they were definitely getting tired out there for multiple plays and big plays where, where the offense would go down the field. I don't, I don't know how much hurry up Miami did, um, but they were, uh, they were moving the ball pretty well. And those big plays where the guys are, are running down the field with them can certainly have an effect on the pass rush. 
Yeah, uh, I I agree, and yet it really did not seem like I would say uh, like you mentioned that they really yeah. pressed an advantage with no huddle. In fact, I thought as the game was you know getting further along and they were driving for the tying touchdown, they did some things that told me they were only they were trying to win it. They were just trying to tie the game and not not win it with a second possession. Almost the, the lacrity of the huddle was very limited. I said, you know, they're doing the Ravens a favor here. Um, <laughs> And, and it did not turn out to be the case, of course, because right. they could pretty much score at will. Uh, but anyway, frustrating, obviously, from a pacing perspective, what the what happened to the Ravens, their inability to control pace, uh, you know, largely with the running game and the efficiency they, they've, they've gotten there just didn't exist in that fourth quarter. And that was a that was a part of uh, not being able to close it out. All right. How about we talk about some individual players here and, and you're the guest, Jake even if we talked about them already, but pick, pick some players uh, off and on. If you have a new thought that we haven't, we haven't gotten sure. to yet. Let's, let's go. Uh, so I definitely have, we've talked about my favorite players from the game. Uh, I'll, I'll go. I don't know if you want to do three, two, one on this show or, or if you do that at the end, I, I don't um, usually do the MVPs after a loss, but you can do it if you want to, by all means, you're the guest, please. I'll well, not to... definitely not an M- MVP. We'll just call mm-hmm. it, um, a moral victory uh, for, for these individual players. Uh, sure. I would say Michael Pierce was number three on my list um, for the defense. I, I just thought he created a, a decent amount of pressure in the pocket and is getting after the quarterback in a way that we really haven't seen in Baltimore uh, from him. Uh, and I thought he used to do that a little bit, but uh, he might be on another level and it's, it's really interesting with his size and shape. He doesn't look like a guy that can move that well, but he really can um, get downhill in a hurry. Um, so I, I liked a lot of what I saw from him. He was, you know, making effort to tackle running backs that kind of got past him too. Um, I just I thought he he played well despite the loss. I, I did too. I thought he played pretty well. I mean, the first week he led the entire defensive line in snaps, which is amazing. I mean, nose tackle doing that. There's there's limitations on when you would want to have that player on the field that didn't persist with Pierce since he was having such a big game against the Jets, winning a lot of one-on-one matchups. But there's something else I like from Michael Pierce this year. You mentioned it's different from his first iteration. It really could be assignment-based more than we think because he – clearly has had a run first defense mentality that's been there. It's not just a mentality. It's an assignment of you're going to be a two gap player and we need you to make sure you're controlling, you know, here and here uh, and not a case of, uh, you know, you're, you're free to penetrate. And I think Pierce has been cut loose much more. He's been greenlit much more to penetrate this year. And uh, he's, really looking good at it i thought for one thing i think he got held on Mm -hmm. one of the plays where he looked like he had a pressure in this one or he's close to a pressure anyway um it was a shame that didn't get called but it 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 just is uh uh it looks like a different michael pierce in terms of his ability to win one-on-one and maybe it was always there and and just he didn't uh he wasn't allowed to do it back then yeah i i have to think that he's grown in that area but i also believe that the the defensive scheme and what he was being asked to do is a little bit different now than it was. It was very much two gap. And now it's a little bit more one gap penetrate. So it's good to see. He 
he really goes back mostly to the Pease era, right? I'm trying to think. He took 2020 yeah. off, then he played one year in 21. So I guess he played one year under, or maybe two years under Wink. Wink was 18 or 19. He came on to be the, he's, he came on at 18. So he might have gotten two yeah, years 18. under Wink. Yeah. What about Wink? Are you missing Wink at all after this game? Any components of Wink? This has come up as a question here. If we could bring this up, Josh, I, I've lost it here on my list on the right. Um, that's a tough one after a loss like that to say for, for certain. I, I mean, do I think he would have called a better game at the end of the game? I maybe, maybe with his experience, um, Wink could have possibly helped them win the game, but I don't, I don't really know that it's, it's a huge difference because of the personnel out there. It, it was a, a huge miscommunication issue. And I think a lot of that was execution on the field and certainly credit goes to coaching. Um, but, but I'm really not sure if, if I'm missing wink yet. I, I did like, uh, I did like the coordinator and I think Mike McDonald is going to bring some good things to Baltimore. So it's too early for me. Try to think how wink would react having the personnel available to him that he did in in this game whether you know the uh, wink extremely outside linebacker heavy in terms of uh right. being being it, it, he put as many as five on the field at one time he frequently put these race car packages on the field with four uh and and three was your standard that he would kick some outside linebacker inside in a in a three outside linebacker dime uh for for most of his tenure here so uh, it, 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 I'm sure it would drive him nuts to only have two guys who are really active outside linebackers plus Harrison, you know, filling some spots. Yeah, absolutely. Um, next guy for me would be Justin Houston, and we talked about him. We don't have to talk about him long. I I thought he had a pretty good game. He was the only guy with the sack on the team, and he created, I believe, the most pressure events out mm-hmm. of any of the defensive players. So he still looks good for whatever reason. Adafi Owe hasn't really been able to break out yet uh, this year. And hopefully that will come when we get Tyus Bowser back or maybe sooner than that. Um, that would be the hope for, for sure. But yeah, I, I think Houston is still the best guy in that outside linebacker room until Owe proves it. I, I would agree. I mean, that's what it looks like right now. I mean, they're asking Owe to play out of position. Owe and Houston really play the same uh, mm-hmm. rush linebacker position where they're both used to being opposite a tackle, having to beat that tackle in a one-on-one matchup, not having this screwy tight end situation involved. And you think that would give you a lot more advantages, but there's really chipping plays that occur over there. There's responsibilities he has in terms of having jammed the receiver off the line of scrimmage that can be different. So um, oh, oh, we need to see more from away. I'm not saying that, that, you know, he's done enough, but uh, he's also, you know, working under a difficult assignment where, He's the only guy who really has the tools on the team currently to be a Sam linebacker. Certainly of the of the two guys plus Jeremiah Moon, if you want to if you want to count him, he's really the he's really the guy who's obvious for the role. But even if if uh, uh, Bowser comes back, there's no backup Sam linebacker, and Oway would be mm-hmm. the only it would have to play some there. I, go back to Houston for a second. One of the things I really liked is. The Dolphins run a lot of the boot schemes that we saw a lot from Flacco. We see probably less now from Lamar because uh, booting, I think most people have heard this show know that I, I don't really think it's as easy to do with a mobile quarterback. But Houston was not getting fooled on boot plays. So they were all zone blocking to the right usually. 
to get Tua to move left, being a left-handed mm-hmm. quarterback, that's easier for him. And Houston, on that backside of the play, is responsible for diagnosing it as quickly as possible, getting in there. And I thought he did a really good job of that. And and uh, it's something that gives the Ravens um, – it, it matters most, certainly, when the quarterback is left-handed. But uh, it can also matter even uh, to be able to stop a boot on that side with uh, with a right-handed quarterback if they're one of the faster guys in the league, a Kyler Murray or certainly a Lamar Jackson or Jalen Hurts, those kind of players – um, are able to to boot left and do it at you know seventy five percent of the level they can they can boot right Mahomes being the group too mm-hmm. yeah I definitely saw that too I, I thought his effort was good to the sideline which mm-hmm. is another another kind of underrated aspect of his game the I mean he's not a middle linebacker but the sideline to sideline effort that he gave you know against wide receivers that are moving um, often to that left hand side. Uh, with with Tua being a lefty, so many of those plays were were on the left hand side, and, and Houston was was a guy helping to push those guys out of bounds um, for as minimal of a gain as possible. Did you happen to see the thing on Twitter where Tua they reversed the film so Tua was a right handed quarterback? <laughs> yeah, interesting way to do it. It really is. Yeah. But uh, but you know you often hear me talk on this show about how a right handed quarterback moving left is basically going into Death Valley. They, they it, particularly with Joe Flacco here all the years just could not get his body turned at all. Uh, he, he would have to make several steps just to get back oriented properly towards the field to get off a normal kind of a throw for him. Uh, but uh, it, it it's it's very difficult for any right-handed quarterback to move to their left. And, and we have to similarly believe it'd be difficult for Tua to boot right. And he had a really good throw on a boot right. It was a, it was a middle distance throw. It wasn't way down the field or anything, but he had a really good throw on a boot right. Yeah, I when you brought that up, I was trying to look in my notes to see where the play was. Um, Tua got pressure from I, I can't remember if it was one of the interior defensive linemen. Um, anyways, he gets pressured and has to roll out to his right. He's mm-hmm. running pretty hard and he throws a pass to Jalen Waddle, I believe, on the sideline. And it, it goes incomplete. Um, and I think a lot of that was due to the pressure of uh, whatever player it was. Um, because Tua, of course, is a lefty and it's more natural to roll out left instead of right. So I, I wanted to give credit to the player, but um, my notes are. All right. That's it. You, you'll, you'll find it again. I want yeah. to bring up the next player, if that's OK. I want to talk a little bit about Marcus Williams. Uh, we talked a little bit about what happened to him in this game, but. He was one of the guys holding it together for the Ravens in this one. Obviously, in terms of getting the two interceptions, that's great. Even on the the interception he dropped, he was in the right place. And you know, when you think back to Ed Reed in Baltimore, it's not like Ed Reed never dropped a football in his life. Ed Reed just was in position to to make a play on, uh, you know, so many more balls than just about any other free safety in the history of the game that he, that his interception rate, particularly on an adjusted basis, is the highest ever to play. So it, it, it's going to happen occasionally that a tip ball is not going to fall into place. And it's really strange to see it after he made, you know, two probably interceptions that I would say are the top 15, maybe even 10% of difficulty with those first two uh, picks he made uh, to then drop an easy one. That probably was about a 75% chance for him to make it. Right. It it's, I mean, it's, it's definitely unfortunate and it kind of makes you think, as Ravens fans um, of just the kind of 
passes that would sometimes fall into Chuck uh, Clark's lap last year mm-hmm. or over the over the years. You know, just the Ravens DBs that haven't had the best hands have had those opportunities. And it's just really I don't know if it's ironic, but Marcus Williams making those really difficult interceptions. And then the one that should be a gimme for him is is the one that he drops. Um, I, I did find that place. Uh, sorry. Uh, it was the second to last offensive play for the Dolphins in the first half. Um, so the one right before the interception by Marcus Williams on the sideline where he gets the toe tap. So this was a four-man rush where Justin Houston, who we were talking about, is unblocked on a, a boot rollout to the offensive right. And he almost gets to him, but the pressure – you know, helps the the pass go incomplete to Waddle. And yeah, Queen, so it was Queen on the was first the and ten play that went incomplete, right? Yeah, okay, first gotcha. and ten, yes, sir. All Anyways, right. yeah, but Marcus Williams clearly was my defensive. Uh, I don't want to say MVP, but <laughs> defensive player of the game for the Ravens in their loss. I mean, how, how could he not be with with the interceptions and ball production that he's done so far? Yeah, I, I, I absolutely. Far and away, um, I thought he was the best. I, I really did love the play of Demarion Williams. We talked a little bit about him. I'm trying to see if there's anything in my notes that I didn't really hit on when we talked about what was going on. Love the reaching across the body ability. I mean, that just he, he has a much larger deflection radius than I expect for a man his size, which is really outstanding. Uh, he did some good downhill tackling after the play. One of the on that third and two play. Uh, he tackled Hill a yard short of the line to gain. That was uh, middle of quarter two, uh, and and he, uh, he he took him down and, and forced a fourth and one that they converted. Mm-hmm. Um, but but still, that was uh, that was nice. Um, what else did we have? Uh, you know, there was a third and seven early in the game that got converted where he was just a hair less, a hair late on making a PD across the body of Jasicki. So when you know. He had, he had lots of good opportunities for PDs and oh, sorry, lots of bad opportunities for PDs in this game that were not really that good. And he generally speaking, he, he converted a reasonable percentage of these low quality opportunities, I thought, in this game. So uh, good stuff. Uh, really was a was a pain to lose. him. I thought he was out for the year. Um, the way he was lying in the back of the end zone there. But it's good to see him get up and, and the, the whoever the announcer was identify the fact that he's he's drinking as he's going off the field which leads him to believe it's probably a cramping problem right yeah and that that was a good sign even though we didn't have pepe for the last play a cramping Mm -hmm. issue is much better than any sort of leg injury Mm -hmm. um so i mean that's a plus Uh, i found the play you're talking about i mean i'm sure the fans know but uh the completion to mike isecki where he was the slot right outside wide receiver in that alignment um Pepe was in such tight coverage. It was third and seven, mm-hmm. 12 minutes, 10 seconds left in the first quarter. It's the one. Um, yeah. I mean, it was, it was a beautiful play, but unfortunately the pass was, you know, pretty perfect. And Gasecki hauled it in for the first down. All right. Uh, what do we else we got going on here? Do you have any other players you'd like to talk about? We can take some questions here if if we're out of players. Yeah, we can we can take questions. I don't want to talk about the negative players more than what we have. Right. So we've gonna. It's, All right. 
you want to get into some mailbag? Sure, by all means, Josh. All right, mailbag always has some repeat, but it's good to get some closure at the end of the show and uh, focus on some of the questions that come in using the hashtag film study mailbag over on Twitter. All right, first up, um, let's go back to OA a little bit. And uh, Brad was wondering, he was hoping about more pressure production from him, but he's being used more as a Sam role and not as a pass rusher. Is that surprising to you? Or is he not being used correctly? I'll go through a couple of things. There's no one else to play Sam. So there's no one else with the traits to play Sam. That said, I don't think the Sam um, coverage drops completely explain the drop in production. I think there are other things that that will do a better job. Oe is being forced to basically play every snap after Means's injury, which happened. Well, it was the first drive of Q two. Uh, starting five plays later, Oe played the first is the first of a lot of snaps for the rest of the game. In fact, he only got six snaps off the remainder of the game, and that was most of the Dolphins' plays. Second half took two total snaps off. Anybody asked to make that many consecutive plays? is going to have difficulty. And so they did a much better job, frankly, of getting Houston off the field for some in the second half and trying to keep him uh, on a little bit of a pitch count to try and uh, keep him marginally fresh. But there just isn't anyone else to, to take that Sam role uh, if it's not OA with, uh, in terms of what traits they have. Jake, All right. Uh, I mean, I think you answered that perfectly, so I don't really have a comment. All right. Well, that's tackle on Alex's comment over on YouTube while adding another outside linebacker acquisitions in, is inevitable. Do we think someone else on the roster could provide a higher level of replacement play and does means getting hurt reduce away and Houston's production? Go ahead and start with that one, Jake. And I'll, I'll, yeah. So, I mean, to answer the acquisition is inevitable. I do believe they will bring another outside linebacker up whether that means it's from the practice squad and it's just an elevation or they, you know, sign somebody to the 53. Um, either of those could definitely happen. I think one of the two will certainly happen. Um, I don't think there's a person on the roster that could provide a higher level of replacement play outside of the guys that are injured. Um, and then we're hoping to get back soon, which would be Tyus Bowser and the unknown of David, David Ajabo, which the unknown right now is very appealing, <laughs> which is, which well is funny. Said. It's, yeah, it's very appealing because right now we, we have very little in the cupboard. Yeah. I, I uh, Ajabo is a pure rush guy. He's not going to drop yeah. the coverage and, and give the Ravens anything there. So he'll be a guy who comes in, hopefully can play the run a little bit, has good length and is a guy who can, who can be Houston's early down counterpart but i wouldn't expect him to be playing on the sam side i don't think there is another guy who can provide even even replacement level play as i understand the word to be used uh in in terms of uh uh who they have on the roster right now i think they'd have, have to go outside the organization in terms of the practicality of that uh they're not going to sign anyone who costs any more than a vet min contract at this point the, the club has hardly any flexibility in terms of salary cap uh, they have almost no dollars. They ju- just did something with Chuck Clark to free up another seven fifty, but basically they they they're scraping the bottom of the barrel. And an early injury to Means is actually going to cost them a lot of that value. 
Uh, we may even be in a position here fairly soon where the Ravens don't have the entire 53 filled on a week-to-week because then that'll tell you they're really scraping trying to get those last dollars. But there's nobody above a vet min contract they're going to get. And a vet min Sam linebacker uh, is not going to be much because those guys are unicorns to start with. They're they're a much rarer set of abilities. Uh, they're generally um, not particularly easy to scout at the college level because the good pass rushers tend to be guys who are given that responsibility and they tend to also be the athletic freaks who might be able to play Sam for you in the NFL. So it, it takes some real sifting through some real frog kissing to get to a guy at Sam linebacker who might be any good. All right. Uh, Patrick is wondering, it looks like the Ravens were playing very soft zone coverage with receivers open all the time. Uh, do you credit this to boom coverages, poor calls, or is this credit to the Dolphins? I mean, I I think they were playing a lot of off coverage, um, a lot of zone coverage. That honestly, like Ken was talking about earlier, should be the bread and butter of this defense with the personnel that they have. Marcus Peters could be a phenomenal cover three corner um, somebody that's looking towards the quarterback for more interception playmaking opportunities. Same thing goes for our safety who has three interceptions on the season, Marcus Williams. And then you have other guys that potentially could start making plays in Kyle Hamilton and Marlon Humphrey and Pepe Williams even. Um, so I, I like the, the, the zone coverage element. I, I also think a piece of it in this game is the the two threats um, of that Miami offense are speedsters in a major way. Tyreek Hill is the deep threat, and certainly Jalen Waddle can do that too. Um, but uh, Hill is kind of more of the known commodity for really being able to catch those balls deep down the field. And the Ravens were trying to give cushion because they don't have a ton of healthy corners that are experienced out there that can really run with these guys. So I, I think it's a mixture of a lot of things. Yeah, I, I, I do. And you hit on most of that, Jake. So I don't want to repeat everything we kind of said early in the episode. And, and you know, you stated very well there. But um, another thing is just the Ravens, no matter what they do, if they have two inside linebackers on the field or even three sometimes when they're playing Harrison as an outside linebacker, uh, that's a lot of coverage weakness. Those are guys who, in theory, have underneath coverage responsibilities. And if they can't, do a lot with that. That means somebody else either has to come in and make up a tackle or that they have to be aware that the inside linebacker can't do much to help them on a, on a route that's run between level two and three. We saw a fair amount of plays made between level two and three. Again, some of them ridiculously wide open in terms of, of uh, the players being there. And I think, you know, some of that responsibility just ends up on the inside linebackers. It's not all on the safeties and corners, even though uh, the Ravens had problems there too in this game. All right, let's close out the mailbag with this Spencer question that you each can answer. All right, so put yourself in the role as defensive coordinator. What lesson do you learn from this game and take away? Is there any players you expect to have a come-to-Jesus moment based on this game? I, yeah. I can go first if you yeah, if go you ahead. Don't. Sure. I mean, I, to me, the guy who who they have an option on who they have on the field is Patrick Queen. So you know, he's, he's the guy, if you want to take him off the field on passing downs, 
and still not destroy the guy's career because, you know, he still gets to play the other downs. He'll be fresher. Hopefully he can give you more in terms of the pass rush, more in terms of a block shedder and run defender on earlier downs, more in terms of just being able to cover screen passes and wheel routes on early downs. But he is just a huge liability in the middle of the field and other teams are picking on him. And, you know, when, when, you know, Joe Flacco and Tua, who are very different quarterbacks, are both, you know, basically finding that same spot on the field. And, you know, Dean Pease had a way of saying that they will find that guy. You know, we, we, whoever he is out there, they will find him. Um, it, it was even true with a player like Mosley, who was an excellent, excellent coverage inside linebacker. But there were times when he was on the field that he was the weakest guy out there and the team would still try and throw at him. Well, they've, they've got to do something to get better coverage. And I think they can have a two for one if they you effectively replace stone for queen at inside linebacker and bring Hamilton up short in that they're, they're probably are maximizing the abilities of both stone and Hamilton in terms of where they play on the field. Yeah. I, I think you answered that question perfectly. Um, just to have another answer, I will say give Kyle Hamilton a more defined role, especially early on as he's learning um, how to communicate in the secondary and what is going on uh, when when an offense gets up to the line quickly, when when plays are coming in fast, uh, he just needs to know where he is. So uh, I, I'd like for him to focus more on inside the box um, responsibilities, whether that's covering a tight end, covering running backs, covering a big wide receiver. Um or, or just playing those those soft zones um, or in the flat and, and stuff like that. I, I, I really like that more for him um, than, than this kind of questioning, is he supposed to be deep, is he not? Uh, so I, I would just define his role and make sure he understands everything because he's a talented player. He just needs to learn and get this experience. Right, I agree, and I don't. I don't see anything. I haven't seen anything yet that tells me he can't get it turned around. He's most of his tackling problems seem more to be about uh, taking an angle to the play as opposed to not being a good wrap up player and whatnot. I'm not saying we haven't seen anything that, that didn't that hasn't worked from that perspective, but I think I've seen more in terms of not not taking good angles to the football, and I hope that. Uh, you know, the Ravens will derive value for him on tight ends, as you said, and underneath being a hulking presence that can uh, create a problem to throw over the way Calais Campbell and Brent Urban should be in the, at the line of scrimmage. Yeah, I agree. We we done, Josh, anymore, or is that it? Yeah, that'll, that'll do it for the mailbag today. People can continue to get your questions in using the hashtag film study mailbag over on Twitter. And hopefully we'll we'll get some for the offense show tomorrow night. Uh, we actually doing that tomorrow during the day. We'll, we, we won't be doing a live stream. Sarah Ellison and I will be recording the show then during the day, and we'll have a lot of fun with that, I'm sure, because she right. is very well, passionate. <laughs> well, then, Ken, let me get the one offense question in here that's flooded the YouTube comments, and it's on Twitter as well, is how much of this collapse do you put on the shoulders of the offense? It's hard to put a lot on the shoulder of the offense, given how effective they were in scoring points. There's nothing about the points per drive that I'd look at and you'd say, well, the Ravens didn't do the job against the Miami Dolphins. I think they, they did. Um, some of the things about not being able to close out the game, not being able to convert on short yardage, extraordinarily frustrating. And any one of those 
you know, putting the game away on any of the many Mike Davis zero yard runs or the Lamar minus one on fourth down uh, or the Lamar fumble on fourth down uh, would have been a nice change. Yeah, I, I have to agree on that. It was, it's, it's tough to, you know, point blame to the offense that had, you know, 31 points. Um, I, I believe that would be over the expectation of probably Vegas over the expectation of a lot of fans against a very strong Miami defense that, you know, dismantled the Ravens last year. Um, 31 points is, is good. That's, that's good enough for you to win games, most games. And the fact that the Ravens couldn't close it out on defense, I would, I would say is the bigger blame, but not converting on fourth downs. Um, maybe some, some of it is, uh the unwillingness or maybe lack of desire to change up play calls when you run the same play essentially four times in a row um but then also it's it's the ability of the players and the execution to actually get the job done even if you are calling the same play in those situations um trying to get a first down or in the case of the goal line a touchdown uh so you know Correcting those is is definitely a, a big part of it, but the defense deserves most of the blame if, if we're going to point fingers. Yeah, completely agree. Jake, been an absolute pleasure to talk football with you. Thanks. We'll, we'll make sure we get you on again, hopefully this year, but if not, hopefully we'll do some content uh, between seasons that we'll be, uh, we'll be talking about some interesting uh, short topics or other things about the draft. I'm sure you do a lot with, with uh, relation to that. Uh, Thanks, I know sir. you're a big Georgia Bulldogs fan. Yes, sir. Uh, thank, thankfully, uh, I have some positive football in my life, even when the Ravens don't don't play up to their their best. All right, and he's at Real Jake Vogel on Twitter, and uh, you mentioned the other the other place you write is. Uh, I, I'm not doing any writing. I, I do a podcast, uh, First and Goal Pod, and you can find that wherever you listen to podcasts. All right. Outstanding, Jake. Other folks out here, uh, for the loyal fans who have been here listening to this and, and and providing questions and whatnot in the margins, we really appreciate it. Uh, we'll probably do this live stream idea again if folks uh, appreciate it. If you did, please tag something out there uh, when we when I post the show saying, hey, I like the live format. If, if you didn't, that's fine. Don't have to put anything. But uh, <laughs> we just want to get some feedback on whether this is a useful format and people are liking it. Jake, thanks again for coming on. Thanks so much, Ken. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.